This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Last week we wrapped up our series that we had called Text Message from God. And of course it was on the study of the Word that goes along with what we're doing right now. Uh, Today I want to wade into a topic that could easily be an entire series, but I'm going to try really hard to condense it into one lesson. You know, the Chiefs don't play today, so nobody's in a hurry to get out of here. So get comfortable, not too comfortable. Let's have a good time studying God's Word. And, uh, you know, seriously, we won't go on for hours and hours, so don't worry too much. Maybe just a couple of hours. But um, as I think of our topic, let me just sit down down as I say this. Honestly, in a sense, this topic could be considered a boring topic. And and I know I just violated one of the most important rules of public speaking. Rule number one in public speaking, you never start out by saying, well, I'm not much of a public speaker. Don't ever say that. You know, if you're speaking at a funeral or whatever, people will find out fast enough that you're not a public speaker. Number two, you never say, well, I didn't have much time to prepare this week. You know, if you're a leader, small group leader, Sunday school teacher, don't ever start out that way because, again, they'll pick up on that in the first couple of minutes. Thirdly, you never do what I just did and introduce your topic as being a boring topic. But but this topic today is not one of those topics that just naturally reaches out and grabs your attention which is probably why a lot of pastors avoid speaking on this. But this is something that needs to be addressed. The Apostle Paul said in relation to this topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, says, Now about spiritual gifts, and so that's our topic right there, spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Did you hear that? And I don't want you to be ignorant either. According to a study, 87% of Christians are ignorant about their spiritual gifts, which, which if those statistics hold true in this church, that would mean that almost 9 out of 10 of you would either A, not know your spiritual gift, B, if you know your spiritual gift, you don't use it. So let's do battle against ignorance this morning and study spiritual gifts. And with God's help, this won't be a boring study. You know, I, I prayed that... His Spirit will make this a very meaningful time together. Maybe we better pray again. Lord, would you quicken our hearts, quicken our minds? Let your Holy Spirit do His work in His way. Use me, however. Uh, Father, I just pray that we would learn something today that wouldn't just be head knowledge, but it would go from our head into our heart and then into our life. I pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's begin by giving a working definition of spiritual gifts. The, The phrase spiritual gifts comes from two Greek words that when put together mean God given abilities to be used to build up the body of Christ. God given abilities to be used to build up the body of Christ. And to try to get us going in the right direction, let me tell a story that I think will help get us focused. Back about 42 years ago, my dad gave me a 22 rifle that had belonged to my grandpa, Trussell. 
You know, after my parents came back from serving as missionaries in South America for 18 years, they initially settled here in Eldorado Springs. I was a freshman in high school at that time. But when my grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack at the age of 66, my family moved to Arkansas to be with my grandmother to help with the family farm. After a few years, um, Dad passed on to me one of Grandpa's guns that I had used many times to to try to help curb the high population of, of deadly water moccasins in, in the area. You know, in Arkansas, where we lived, we, uh, it, it, we lived in rice country. And, and, of course, we don't have rice fields around here, and most people call them rice paddies, but that's more, you know, in Vietnam area, whatever. But rice fields, we don't have them, and so most of us don't understand rice farming, but but to grow a good crop of rice, you, you raise up levees that are, you know, about this tall, maybe two, two and a half feet tall. And, um, and then you flood the rice fields generally three times for, per growing season, which means you have a lot of standing water in the fields, which also means that not only does this standing water become a breeding ground for some of the biggest mosquitoes on the face of the earth, I once witnessed mosquitoes carry off a newborn calf. I'm actually just joking there. I'm kidding. Um, but, but the mosquitoes were enormous. They were vicious and, and never-ending. But the standing water not only was the breeding ground for mosquitoes, it also became a perfect haven for poisonous water moccasins. And in the few years that we lived in Arkansas, as, as a teen, I had done my part to uh, take out hundreds of snakes. And I know that sounds like another preacher exaggeration. Hundreds of snakes. Um, it's, it's not an exaggeration. In one week alone, and I charted this on, on a calendar, in one week alone, I took out 57 snakes. That was in one week. Now, I realize that in the state of Missouri, it's against the law to kill a snake. It means if you find a snake in your yard, you're just to gently pick it up and, I guess, bless your neighbor and put it in their yard. But, but it was not that way in, in the state of Arkansas. It was important to keep these snakes in check. So as a teen, I would stuff my pocket full of 22 shells and walk snake-infested areas where there was waist-deep grass along the bayous, or we call them the bow. Of course, uh, here you call them creeks or cricks, or I guess creeks here. But I did my part to help control the cottonmouth population that was around our house. But anyway, I was so humbled to inherit this 22 rifle. And to this day, I, I treasure that gun. It's, it's not the most expensive gun that I own, um, but it's the one with the most sentimental value. And I would rather lose any gun over this one. But here's what I want to get at. I treasure this gun. I love this gun. It's a beautiful gun. It has so much meaning, so much sentimental value, yet I never use it. I sometimes take it out, I look at it, I admire it, I touch it, take it apart, put it back together again, remember who it belonged to, but this gun has not been fired in over 30 years. I keep it hidden and locked up. And right there illustrates what most Christians are doing with their spiritual gifts. Our Heavenly Father has gifted us with these wonderful gifts that the Bible refers to as spiritual gifts. 
Gifts that are amazing. They're, they're even, in a sense, beautiful gifts. They're, they're, they're gifts that have the potential of making our communities a better place. But most of us are not using these gifts that our Father has given us. In essence, we keep them hidden and locked up. So because of this, the Apostle Paul says on on this matter of spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. And he proceeds to teach us a lesson. Let's see what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. But it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it's the same Lord we're serving. There are different ways God works in our lives, but it's the same God who does the work through all of us. And and this is a key verse right here. It tells us why God gives us spiritual gifts. Verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Now, let's first talk about what spiritual gifts are not, so we can better understand what they are. Number one, spiritual gifts are not natural talents. When you're born physically, God gives you natural talents. For example, some of you are naturally gifted with the ability to sing, and you're amazing. But some of you don't have that talent. Uh, You can't carry a tune in a bucket. And yes, you're still going to make it to heaven, But you should just wait to sing until you get in the shower or until you get your glorified voice in heaven because otherwise I guess you can just make a joyful noise to the Lord. But there's no tune. You know, others of you are naturally gifted with the ability to to process numbers or or bookkeeping. Some of you, you struggle adding two plus two. Some of you can take some pieces of wood and build a beautiful cabinet, something I wish I could do, but I can't. Others of you can take a car engine apart and put it back together again and not have any extra parts lying around. I can take it apart. Getting it back together is another thing. Some of you are so techy. You can take your phone apart and and change the screen. And for the iPhone, it's a little more difficult. But there's someone in this church that he has taken my phone apart, put in a new battery and, and a new screen. And others of you don't even know how to silence your phone. We all have natural talents that we're born with. And it's the same way when you're born spiritually. God has lovingly gifted each of us with some spiritual gifts. Now, your spiritual gifts at times may complement your natural gifts, but not always. Sometimes God actually gives us spiritual gifts in areas where we feel weak, where we say, I'm not very good at this. And the reason is because God loves to show his power through our weaknesses, And that way, he is the one who receives honor and glory instead of us. So there's a difference between natural talents and spiritual gifts. Number two, spiritual gifts are not just given to an elite few. God doesn't say, okay, well, I'm going to give gifts to this person because they've got a lot going for them. They're winners, and and, and they can really make a difference, but I'm not going to give spiritual gifts to this person because they don't have much going for them. God doesn't work that way. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. Number three, spiritual gifts are not a sign of maturity. And in some Christian circles today, people try to elevate certain gifts and say, well, if you have this particular gift, you're more spiritual. But if you don't have this gift, then you're kind of a second rate, a second class Christian. 
And we'll talk about this a little bit more later on. But just know that spiritual gifts are not a sign of being more godly. Number four, spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. And again, we'll cover this a little bit later on uh, in more depth. But, but the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, there, there's nine types of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are not spiritual gifts. These are spiritual fruit. Sometimes people say, well, you know, Joe, I just don't have the spiritual gift of patience. Or I don't have the spiritual gift of self-control. And they excuse the weakness. They justify it. Patience is not a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual fruit. And so every follower of Jesus Christ should be developing patience or self-control. We should have these fruits in our lives. So all believers should have all the fruits of the Spirit... But not all believers will have all of the gifts of the Spirit. Number five, spiritual gifts are not something to shy away from. You know, just because you've seen distortions of spiritual gifts on television doesn't mean that you need to shy away from them. The Bible says that we should desire spiritual gifts. Yes, there are phonies, there are counterfeits. But just because you hear about a particular church doing some weird stuff in the name of Jesus doesn't mean you need to as you know we say throw the baby out with the bathwater. understand that there are some phonies out there but you don't need to shy away from spiritual gifts all right let's um for this segment let's talk about a few of the spiritual gifts and in, in scripture there are four different lists of spiritual gifts but because of time constraints we're only going to look at one list we're going to look at romans chapter 12 and uh, look at a few verses there, beginning with verse 6. And here's what the Bible says in this one list of spiritual gifts that it mentions. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And then it lists seven different gifts. And let's go through them. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Okay, so what is the gift of prophesy? prophecy? Well, Some people would say it's predicting or foretelling the future. And and Old Testament prophets did some of that. We talked about that last week. For example, we mentioned that Malachi predicted or prophesied that there would come one that would prepare the way. You know, John the Baptist would prepare the way for Messiah. It happened. That's one element of prophecy. But, But literally, the gift of prophecy means the ability to speak on behalf of God. Some would say, that's what I'm doing right now as your pastor. Others would say, well, no, the gift of prophecy is more direct. But regardless of of, of your take on this, the gift of prophecy is speaking on behalf of God. Well, here's the second gift mentioned. Verse 7, if it's serving, let him serve. And, And this gift is just as important as the gift of prophecy. Some of you have the spiritual gift of serving. And there's a married couple in this church. They've got the gift of service, and they frequently have people over for dinner. And and when they make dinner, they do it upright. And I've tried to get them to simplify and say, hey, just throw some dogs on the grill. Hot dogs, that is. But they say, no way. God has called us to use our gift to serve. It's an amazing gift they have. 
goes on and says, if it's teaching, let him teach. Some of you have the gift of teaching God's Word. Others of you don't. You know, over the years, we've had many, many different people lead classes, and it generally doesn't take too long to see who has the gift of teaching. If you have the gift of teaching, you should be using it. Verse 8, if it's encouraging, let him encourage. God has given some of you the spiritual gift of encouraging. You have a way of noticing when someone needs a word of encouragement, and you know exactly what to say. Goes on and says, if it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. Some, some people feel most fulfilled when they give. Some, sometimes they give financially. Sometimes they give of their time. You mowers, you, you cleaners. Here at the church, you may not feel comfortable teaching, but you give of your time and resources. I thank God for you. Goes on and says, if it's leadership, let him govern diligently. Let's face it, some people are good leaders, others are not. And something I've learned is that not every godly person is a good leader. This kind of goes against the grain. Sometimes we think, well, let's put so-and-so in this high leadership position at the church because they're godly. There are some wonderful godly people, but when it comes to leadership, they don't have a clue. Now, they might be the first person. To call when you need prayer, but that doesn't mean that they have the gift of leadership. There are some pastors that are godly, they can preach wonderful sermons, but they're poor church leaders. So God has given some people the gift of leadership, but again, there are others that don't have that gift. goes on and says, if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now again, not all people have the gift of mercy. Sorry to say, I'm not one of those that's just oozing with the gift of mercy. My wife has this gift. I wish I had more. Um, my wife has needed a lot of mercy to put up with me over the years. She has the ability to go up to people that are going through tough times. She'll put her arm around them and cry with them. And my attitude sometimes, and, and I don't like this about myself, but sometimes I want to tell them, quit crying, quit being a baby. You got yourself into this jam, just get yourself out, you know, shake it off. We go through tough times, that's life, just deal with it. And, and that's not a good attitude. I'm not bragging about it. I don't like myself because of that sometimes, but that's why I'm not on the mercy committee around here. I'm on the prophecy committee. I'm on the leadership committee. But I thank God for those of you who can put your arm around someone and cry with them and show them mercy. I need you in this church to, to make up for my weakness. Okay, so the million-dollar question is, how do you know which gift you have? Well, there are several ways to determine this. One of the ways is you can take a, a spiritual gifts inventory, and there are different websites, and you can also printed out hard copies where you can take this spiritual gift, examine, find a ton of information. And, and um, you know, most of you are online savvy, so if you want to do that, um, you can figure this out for yourself. If you can't, why call a friend, and I'm sure they will help you find an online place for spiritual gifts inventory. But having said that, there's another way. It's more basic, and I think it's a lot more fun and more practical. Some people refer to this as the apple pie demonstration, and what I want to do is go through the gifts that we just studied in the book of Romans 
and show how this apple pie demonstration works in finding your spiritual gift. So you ready? Imagine you're at a table in a restaurant with a bunch of friends and there's someone there that's about to eat a piece of apple pie and the plate, their apple pie, uh, it's got a bunch of ice cream on it as well. And the apple pie is warm and so the ice cream is just kind of melting, you know, there. It's just amazing. A little bit of whipped cream on top as well. Or maybe a lot of whipped cream. But anyway, the plate is right at the edge of the table and it's about to fall off. That person isn't paying attention and it happens. Someone bumps the table, the plate with the apple pie and the ice cream and the whipped cream falls right into their lap. Now, how you respond next can possibly determine what your gift is. For example, if you're one that would say, well, I knew it was going to happen, you moron. (laughs) You idiot. I I saw your plate getting closer and closer to the edge, and you know there are consequences to your carelessness. The law of gravity will get you every time. It was on the tip of my tongue to tell you you better be careful, but it was too late. How many of you would be like that? Just be honest. Okay, we've got a couple of honest souls in this church. Um, If If that's you, you may have the gift of prophecy. (laughs) Or you may just be a jerk. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Um, How many of you on the other hand would have reacted and said, Oh, let me help you clean that up. Here's my napkin. I'll run and get more napkins from the waitress. and, And you come back and make sure that it's all cleaned up. If that's you, you may have the gift of serving. Others of you might say, you know, I've researched this, and really there's a better way to eat apple pie. Step one is enforce the three-inch rule. Your plate needs to always be three inches from the edge of the table. Step two is every two minutes, take out your tape measure and make sure it's still three inches away. Step three, get some accountability to make sure someone else is helping you monitor the three-inch rule. You know, if that's you, you may have the gift of teaching. Or you may be OCD. (laughs) Others of you might say, oh, I feel for you. You know, I did that one time at a church dinner, and don't worry about it. It's okay. Nobody really noticed, and it happens to all of us, and you try to take some of the embarrassment away from them to make them feel better, and you may have the gift of encouragement. If you would say, here, take my apple pie. I'll order another one. In fact, I'll just get apple pies for the whole table. You may have the gift of giving. Uh, those of you who would say, hey, let's all pitch in here. And, you know, uh, Gene, you go get a, a wet paper towel from the bathroom. And, and, and Peg, you go order another piece of pie from the server. And, and, and Linda, you go get this. And if that's you, you may have the gift of leadership. Those of you who would say, oh, my heart just sank when that pie fell into your lap. You know, I hurt for you, and I know you're just so humiliated, and, and tears came to my eyes. I was feeling so sorry for you, and that you, you may have the gift of mercy. And that wouldn't be me. I might have tears in my eyes, but I'd be laughing so hard. <laughs> sorry, just admitting my weaknesses here. I'm not on the mercy committees, thank the Lord. But do you see how that can work? 
So it's important to find out how God has gifted you because the church needs every one of our gifts. And if some of you are hiding your gift and you're keeping it locked up, then we all suffer because of it. Now, before we move on uh, and talk about the fruit of the Spirit, let me quickly mention the gift of speaking in tongues. And I could spend an hour on this, and I, I won't, but the only reason I'm going to single out this gift is because this is probably the gift that brings about more divisiveness in the church than any other gift. But it shouldn't. We find this gift in another list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll break into the middle of verse 10. It says this, Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, and another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It's the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, uh, this spiritual gift, there, there are strong opinions on two sides of the spectrum. You, some say, well, to be spirit-filled means you must speak in unknown tongues. And if you haven't spoken in unknown tongues, then you're not filled with the Spirit. But then others would go to the other side, other extreme, and they would say, tongues? Tongues are weird. Could they be of the devil? Which is, in a sense, the way that some of the onlookers on the day of Pentecost reacted. You know, they were confused by the different tongues and languages that were being spoken. They started to make fun of them, and they said, these guys must be drunk. They must be toasted. They must be wasted. They must be buzzed. And, and Peter had to stand and say, no, it's only nine in the morning. I, I promise you, they're not hammered. So let me take a couple of moments and see what the Bible says about this. And I realize that in this church, right now, we have people on both sides. But I want to look at some principles in the Bible regarding tongues. I don't claim to understand everything about this gift, but I do understand some of the principles, and I want to give you some of the principles that I do understand. And this is going to be fast because I want to get to our wrap-up on the fruit of the Spirit. First principle, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. There are those who try to deny that this spiritual gift is still valid. They say, well, this is a new dispensation. And so that's all been done away with. Okay, if that's the case, then what other gifts do we need to do away with as well? You know, whenever we start getting out the scissors, where do we stop? Number two, speaking in tongues is not to be a free-for-all. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27, exhorts that our worship should be orderly and any unknown tongue or language should always have an interpretation and it should not take over a service. One other note under this point is that in the book of Acts, the word for tongues is actually language. And on the day of Pentecost, people from 16 to 18 different countries, different languages, they began speaking and the scriptures say, how is it that... We understand these foreigners speaking in our own local language. So they were speaking in known languages on the day of Pentecost. Number three, not everyone will have the gift of tongues. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30 says that not everyone will speak in tongues. And according to Paul, it's not necessarily the preferred gift. For example, Paul says that in a church setting, he would rather speak five words that are understood than 10,000 words that are not understood. 
Do you see the simplicity there? So it's really preferred to have the Word of God spoken in a language that we can understand. Number four, speaking in tongues is not the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. You know, some churches would say, well, if you've not spoken in tongues, then you've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We have many, many examples of people being filled with the Spirit in the Bible without the evidence of speaking in tongues. In fact, if you just go to the book of Acts and study it, you'll find six different instances in the book of Acts where they, where they were filled with the Spirit. Six instances. Three of those included speaking in tongues. Three of those, nothing. And so there's much, much more I could say, but let me, let me summarize this segment with this statement. The real mark, and I want you to listen, the real mark of being filled with the Spirit is not speaking in tongues, but rather it's controlling the one tongue you do have. That will let me know you have the goods. You know, if you fly off in a nonsensical language, that's not going to cause me to see Christ in you. But what will let me see that you have Christ in you is when you're criticized unfairly, unjustly, and your tongue responds back with love and forgiveness. That lets me know you've got it. You've got it. And that leads us to the last segment. The best evidence of a Spirit-filled life is not through spiritual gifts, but rather it's through the fruit of the Spirit. And let me give an illustration to set things up so we can better understand the fruit of the Spirit. And If you've ever gone into Hacker's Jewelers, Jewelers Store, whatever, to look at a diamond, they typically get the diamond. They place the diamond on some black velvet. Because against, up against the black velvet... That diamond with the proper lighting makes it easier to see the quality of that diamond. That's what God has done with the fruit of the Spirit. He's taken the fruit of the Spirit, put it up against the black velvet of the works of the flesh to set off the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read the verses, and I, I, I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. Here's the black velvet. Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results, sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activity, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions. These are the works of the flesh, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your little group. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those works of the flesh are the black velvet. Now, let's look at the diamond. Verse 22, following what we read. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the diamond. 
And the test of whether or not a person is filled with the Holy Spirit is not how many spiritual gifts they have. It's do they have the fruit of the Spirit? And again, not everyone will have all of the gifts of the Spirit, but every Spirit-filled believer should have the fruits of the Spirit. Let's come in for our landing by reading three verses in Ephesians chapter 5. So, be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Remember when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, the bystanders thought they were drunk. And it's interesting that Paul makes this comparison saying, don't be drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now when someone is drunk, how do we refer to them? Well, we say they're under the influence, which means there's something that's controlling them. When they're under the influence of alcohol, they think differently, they talk differently, they act differently, but Scripture says, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Think differently, talk differently, act differently. Because you're filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And again, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will think differently, you'll talk differently, you'll act differently. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Now, in the church world, I realize there's debate over this filling. People ask, well, at the moment of salvation, do you experience all of the Holy Spirit? Or is there a second definite blessing? There's a debate on that. And and I don't like to get into debates like that. You know, the church's position, this church's position down through the years, generally has been that there is a second definite work of grace to where you're filled with the Spirit. But let me give you my position on this. And some of you may not agree. Let me say it this way. I don't think one filling is enough. But neither do I think two fillings is enough. I don't think three is enough. I don't think that a hundred fillings is enough. Yes, I believe there's that initial moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon us, but, but the most literal translation for be filled is a present continuous tense, which means you continue to be filled. You know, if you're just filled once or or twice, you know what? Because you leak. You will soon run on empty. So what does all of this mean? Well, this means that possibly some of us need to take another drink. We're not drunk enough. In, In the spirit, that is. We need to take another drink of the spirit of God. Don't be drunk on wine, be but, con- but be continually filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, as we leave here today, my, my goal, I, I've told you this, every Sunday I, I have to have a goal in mind. What do I want? What do I, what do I want God to accomplish today? And, It's not really what I want, but what does he want? I believe he wants 
spirit-filled believers that possess, that are developing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those nine qualities. But then, I believe God wants us to take the spiritual gifts that He has gifted to us, He's generously given to us, and that we would use our gifts to build up the body of Christ. And so as we leave here today, just kind of a gut check, are you using your spiritual gift, not your natural gift? Remember, they may be different, but are you using your spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ? If not today, could you just say, Lord, I don't even know what it is. Would you reveal it to me? And that you would go on a search on the next few days to find out how God has gifted you and that you would use it to his honor and glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for the generosity. We understand that there are some people that may have five talents and others may have two and we may just be a one-talented person. We may not have all of the natural talents that everybody else does, but Father, when it comes to spiritual gifts, you've equipped us. You've given us what we need. And so in a body of believers like this church, that means that, Lord, we have everything we need to be able to function as a church that's filled with the Spirit, with the presence of God, that is unstoppable. Because whenever we are empowered, fueled by the Spirit, we are unstoppable. And so, Lord, I pray that we would dig that gift out of the closet. Lord, that we would dust it off. We would begin to use it for your honor and glory. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant on these things. And so, Lord, I pray that as we do battle against ignorance, that we would, we would do our part to use what you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.